Hi, this is Dr. Karen Horton from Johns Hopkins. In this lecture, we'll be discussing interpretation strategies for virtual colonoscopy, including 2D and 3D reviews. Now, the reading strategies actually vary. Methods of interpretation would include a primary 2D read, so these people spend most of their time looking at the axial images and MPRs, and then they do 3D use for problem solving. The opposite, primary 3D readers spend most of their time looking at the 3D rendered image, the fly-through, and they use the 2D for problem solving. You could do a complete 2D and 3D review, which would be very comprehensive, but would take a long time. And then we'll discuss some other reading strategies, the use of computer-aided diagnosis, and other software tools that are available, such as virtual dissection, polyp view, and the panoramic views. Now, primary 2D review includes review of the axial images and the MPRs. You're going to be reviewing in a lung-like window, in the Akron study, we used 1,600 over negative 400. Some people use a slightly different window now, which is 2,000 over zero. The 2,000 over zero lets you look through the tagged fluid a little bit better in case there's a polyp submerged in the fluid. So you might want to try that and see which window settings you uh, like best. Soft tissue windows should always be available. They're especially helpful if you're looking at flat lesions or if you're trying to determine whether uh, lesion is heterogeneous, has air in it or fat in it, which might suggest stool, or is fat density, which would be compatible with a lipoma. So usually a primary 2D review is a time-efficient survey for a radiologist because we're very comfortable scrolling through axial images and then using the multiplanar reconstructions for correlation. So these all come up simultaneously. They all have excellent resolution because of the submillimeter collimation. And also, it really helps to be able to see an abnormality in more than one plane. So if a polyp is stuck on a fold, it might be very subtle on the axial images, but be more obvious, let's say, on the coronal images. For the primary 2D review, remember that polyps are homogeneous soft tissue density. They do not have air in them. They do not have fat in them. They are completely homogeneous in soft tissue. Now, tiny ones might look a little heterogeneous to you if you're using soft tissue windows in particular, but that's just you know, the graininess of the study, because these are low-dose study. Polyps should be fixed in position, unless they're on a stalk, so they can move. And sometimes the colon rotates a little bit between prone and supine acquisition, so you want to make sure that you're not being fooled and thinking a lesion moved when it was actually the colon just rotated slightly differently. Polyps are usually smooth and rounded. They don't have sharp edges or angulations. If you're looking for stool, it's usually heterogeneous, so it has fat density, high density, sometimes air mixed within it. It's usually mobile, but sometimes it could be adherent. And stool, especially on the 3D rendered view, is often linear, has irregular shapes and angulations. So those are some clues. So what's the strategy for a primary 2D review? First, you scroll through the images. I always scroll through the axials and the coronals, and I try to find a possible polyp or a lesion that I want to check out, I mark it and I continue going and at the end I go through and look at each of the marks I've made and assess the density, does it move, what's the morphology, I confirm it in other positions, I also look on the 3D to try to determine is this a polyp or is it stool because that's basically the decision you're making. I usually set up my work screen like this. I have the endoluminal fly-through view down in the right lower quadrant, and then I have my axial images, my coronal images, and then my global view down in the left. So when I'm reviewing the axial or the coronal images, I make it one-on-one -on -one, because you want those to be fill the screen because you're going to be looking for very small polyps. When you find a polyp, on the axial images, for example, in this case you can see that small polyp there at the rectosigmoid junction. 
the soft will automatically show you where it is on the coronal image and on the fly-through image and also there's a setting where you can see it on the global view I don't have that selected at this point but you can see exactly where that would correspond on the global view here is an example of that you can see that on the global view it's showing you where the camera is and that's that little kind of triangular or pyramid shape up in the cecum but I have the marker there at the rectosigmoid junction 1a so it shows you exactly where you mark the lesion and also shows you where the camera is at this point and that camera would then correspond to the view that you get in the coronal the axial and then the endoluminal fly-through view so we're scrolling through the images very slowly so here's a video we're scrolling through the descending colon you can see several diverticula coming in and out and what you're doing is scrolling and looking for polyps there's a polyp right there you can see it just passed we've gone past it now we're in the upper portion of the descending colon and now we're backing up and you'll see the polyp on the posterior wall or I should say lesion we haven't decided if it's a polyp yet there's some tagging around it and now we're gone past it so that was it on the axial image, and that was the prone acquisition. This is the supine acquisition in the same patient. We're looking at the same segment of the colon. We're scrolling through, and you see the diverticula. And you'll see the polyp come here in a second. There you go. It was on the posterior wall again. So it didn't move, right? It was on the posterior wall in both the prone and supine acquisition. It's homogeneous, soft tissue density. You can see barium around it, but that's okay. And then I would correlate that to the fly-through view. So here we are flying through the same segment. The white that you see on the fly-through corresponds with the tagging agent. You can see some ticks going through there. And there you can see the lesion in question hanging down. It has a little bit of tagging on it, but that's fine. So that, too, is suspicious for a polyp. So we have the axial prone, the axial coronal, and then the fly-through view, all showing a suspicious lesion in the descending colon, soft tissue density that didn't move. So we'd call that a polyp. Here's a different patient. We have some static images, the axial and the coronal, showing a lobulated lesion in the ascending colon. Here's another patient. You can see a small polyp. It's kind of subtle. It's in the ascending colon near the flexure along a fold. Actually, sometimes when they're on the folds, they're very subtle on the 2D images, but more obvious on the 3D image. And you're not going to miss that on the 3D. You can see there's a polypoid lesion sitting on the fold. Usually we're reviewing in a lung or lung-like window, and I discuss that 1,600 over negative 400 or 2,000 over zero. And we also have soft tissue windows available. In this case, there's a lesion in the medial wall of the descending colon. You can see it kind of bulges into the colon on the lung-like windows. And on the soft tissue windows, you can see it's pure fat, so that's a polyp. So that's another problem-solving tool. You want to switch to the soft tissue uh, windows when you're trying to determine the density of a lesion. You can simultaneously look at both acquisitions at the same time, the prone and supine, and so that would be your A data set and your B data set at the same time. So here I have the axial images in the upper columns and then the endoluminal views in the lower columns of both the prone and the supine. If you want to correlate them and look at them side by side. So what would be the advantages of being a 2D reviewer? First of all, it's easy to learn. If you're a radiologist, you're very comfortable with scrolling through axial images, using MPRs and going back and forth. It's time efficient. There's some studies that say it's faster than 3D, but other studies show 3D is faster. I think it's whatever review technique you're used to. You can be a very good and efficient 2D reviewer. One of the advantages of doing 2D review is you can immediately check the density of a lesion very, very easily. 
Okay, now let's discuss primary 3D review. So these refer to the Endolumino fly-through reviews. So these are high-quality, automatic, centerline. The software will try to keep you in the center and usually can vary the speed. Traditionally recommended if you, to do forward and rear viewing. So basically go forward and backward on each of the data sets so that you won't miss lesion behind the hidden folds. That may, longer, may no longer be necessary if you have special panoramic viewing, and I'll discuss that a little bit later. The 3D review is usually more time-consuming, especially in the beginning, but people like Perry Pickard gets really, really good with the 3D review, and he can do it very quickly. So I think part of it depend, depends on your experience and the type of software you have. It can be difficult if there are is there a lot of fluid or stool present. If there's a lot of fluid, remember, you're flying through, you're only seeing the surface of the fluid, you're not seeing under it. Now, of course, if you look at the other acquisition, the fluid should flip, but it doesn't always. So you just have to keep that in mind. With a primary, primary 3D review, the polyps should be fixed in position. Remember, again, unless they're on a stalk or the colon has rotated or is decompressed. They're usually smooth and rounded. They usually don't have sharp edges. And stool is typically mobile, linear, with some irregular shape. So when you're doing a primary 3D review, your strategy should be you're flying through, you find a polyp, mark it, and then you go to the 2D and assess the density, and there are some 3D density tools that are helpful, and we'll discuss that in the end. And then you confirm in the other position, make sure it didn't move, and confirm in the 2D view. So in a fly-through, you're flying through the colon. This is a little quicker than I usually do, but you're flying through the colon until you find a lesion, and then you stop, and then you try to assess what it is. In this case, it's a 1.8 centimeter tubular adenoma, and you can see it there on the endoluminal fly-through view. Here's an axial and a coronal image for a lesion in the posterior portion of the transverse colon, and then you can mark it on the global view. And here's the green lines where I've been flying through. That big kind of pyramid is the camera, and that shows exactly where I am looking now where I see that lesion in the transverse colon. Okay, so here's a case one that I'm showing the 3D. So we're flying through. There's the tube in the rectum and we're flying forward. This is about the speed I use, and the software is pretty good. And when you come across something that you're interested in, you stop and you're going to look at it very carefully. This seems to be hanging down from the anterior wall, so you definitely want to correlate this with the 2D images. So if we switch here, you can see these are the axial images and the patient's in the prone position. We're starting in the rectum, there's the tube and I'm scrolling towards the patient's head trying to find the same lesion. Now if you marked it in the 2D, in the 3D, it would automatically show you where it is in the 2D, but here I'm just scrolling through to show you what it would be like, and you'll see the lesion coming into plane here. There you go. It's coated with a little bit of tagging, which is fine. It's a large lesion. There's a small stalk. It's very homogeneous. There's nothing about that to suggest stool. There's no heterogeneity in the inside of the lesion. There's just tagging on the outside of the lesion. Here's a coronal 2D view on the same patient, just to get another look. I always like to do coronal as well. It just gives you another feel for the morphology of the polyp. So we're scrolling through, and we'll see the polyp coming into plane in the upper portion of the rectum. There you go. And you can see it's hanging down there. There's some tagging on the outside. It's very lobulated. That's about a 2.5 centimeter lesion, and again, there's nothing to suggest stool. Here's just an axial and a coronal showing the same lesion. 
Here's an image showing the soft tissue density, and you see the tagging along the outside, and there's no heterogeneity on the inside, and there's uh, just a static image showing the view on the endoluminal. So everything about that lesion should suggest that it's a polyp and not stool. Now the problem with doing a 3D review is usually you have to go forward and backward on both of your acquisitions because if a polyp were hidden behind a fold, you may not see it if you only go in one direction, especially if the colon's not completely distended. There are little blind spots in the house straw and behind folds as you're flying through, and that actually is the problem with regular colonoscopy. They can't always see behind the folds. Now on the semen scanner, they have two different viewing field of views that you can use. They have the standard endoluminal view, which is 110 degrees, and that would be the standard that most people use. But now there's some research to suggest that maybe we really need a larger field of view. And with a larger field of view, what happens is you don't have as many blind spots. So in the Siemens, it's called a panoramic endoluminal viewing. And what they do is they have a larger field of view. So instead of 110, they have 270. And so what it does is it kind of peels back the folds as you're flying through so you have less blind spots. So I did a little experiment using the primary 3D review. So what you do is you start in the rectum, you go all the way to the cecum, and if you just do it in one direction using the standard field of view and you look at the unseen areas, there's about 20%. So you just went from the rectum to the cecum, you've actually not looked at 20% of the surface of the colon. And then there's ways you can go back and look at those areas. If you use the larger field of view, so that's the panoramic field of view, and you started in the rectum and went to the cecum, you had 0% that you hadn't seen. So you could see the advantage if you're a 3D viewer and you went use the panoramic views with the larger field of view, you may not have to fly forward and backward. You may only have to fly one direction on each data set. So people who are experimenting with this are just flying one way. You might fly from the rectum to the cecum on the supine and then from the cecum to the rectum on the prone. If you could do that, then you could see you could really cut down your interpretation times. So again, you have the standard endoluminal viewing. Also, most software manufacturers, when you're looking at the endoluminal fly-through views, it's all one color. Remember, this is a surface rendering, right? You're not seeing any densities. In fact, when you see a lesion, then you have to go to the 2D to see the density. But some manufacturers offer software that lets you see the density while you're in the 3D. So in this example, I'm showing you there's different types of panoramic viewing. There's a square one and a more circular one for the field of view. But also, can you see in this that you see some white on that one lesion? So closest to us, there's a small polyp. And then further away, there's some stool with tagging that looks white. So that's called show stool tagging in the Siemens software. So if it's white on the 2D, it will appear white on the 3D. So that's very helpful when you're flying through. So what do polyps look like? They look like small polypoid lesions. They can be along the folds or between the folds. And again, you're looking at a surface rendering. We just kind of make it orange or flesh color, but it's actually just a surface rendering of the CT study. Here's an example of a polyp on the fly-through view and the small polyp I have circled there on the kind of soft tissue window looking at the rectum. Here's an example of the global view. You see an apple core lesion in the transverse colon. That's a cancer. And then there's an image from the coronal NPR showing the apple core lesion. And on the fly-through, sometimes those big masses are difficult to tell what you're dealing with. You can see here, when you're looking at it, you're not sure it's just a big mass or stool. So you definitely need to correlate. Some pitfalls in interpretation. Stool is obviously the biggest thing you have to deal with. Is it stool or is it a polyp? Remember, polyps can move too. 
especially if they're on a stalk or if the colon changes. Polyps can be coated with tagging agent, especially villus adenomas. Sometimes they can get into those little crevices, but it should never, the tagging should never be at the center of a polyp. That would indicate that it's stool. Flat lesions can be challenging both for the radiologist and the colonoscopist. Remember, the retention balloon or the catheter could hide polyps in the rectum, so you're going to have to deal with that possibility. And then diverticulosis, severe diverticular disease can be very, very challenging. So for stool versus polyp, basically the stool will often move on the supine to prone. If it's not adherent stool, it will move, you know, several centimeters or flip side, so that's easy. Stool tends to be heterogeneous, so you look for air, fat, or high density within it, that's a good clue and stool tends to be more irregular. But the easiest way to determine stool from a polyp is to use the fecal tagging and the stool tagging. So if there's white mixed within the lesion, then it has to be stool. Here's an example of stool, what it looks like on the fly-through. You can see there's some little angulations there. And then on the 2D image in the descending colon, you see that lesion and there's a dot of air or fat in the center. So you know that has to be stool. In this example, you can see that it flipped from prone to supine positioning, and there's no stalk on it, so we know that has to be stool. And here's an example with tagging. There's some tagging there, and there's a couple lesions there, and again, they look very heterogeneous. Here's an example of stool tagging. So you see these little white dots, so it's very easy to determine that that's actually adherent stool instead of small polyps. So stool tagging can be very, very helpful, and you can on the Siemens, you can look at the stool tagging if you turn on that show stool tagging. So here, example on the left, I just have the standard endoluminal fly-through. The example on the right, I've turned on the show stool tagging, so you see the white. So if you're using a primary 3D review and you're flying through and you see that white, you know you're not seeing the surface of the colon, so you should immediately correlate with your 2D view. And it's also helpful when you're flying through and you see a little lesion, if you turn on the show stool tagging, it looks white. You just want to make sure, again, that if there are small lesions that you correlate it with the 2D, because sometimes you can have a little bit of coating on the outside of a polyp. People are always concerned about the flat lesions. These are difficult, and this is a nice study where Perry Pickard went back to specifically address that in his study. There were 59 flat lesions, 17 were seen only at the conventional colonoscopy and not on the CT, but 25 were only seen at the virtual colonoscopy in the first pass, and 17 were seen on both. So I think that shows you that flat lesions are challenging both for the colonoscopist and for the radiologist. And of those 59 lesions, only 29 were actually adenomatous. So um, you can see that not all flat lesions are cancer or even adenomatous. And if you did the calculation, the virtual colonoscopy prospectively detected 24 of 29, so that's 80, almost 83%, and 80% of all flat lesions 6 millimeters or greater. So you can see that it did find most of the lesions, but it can be pretty challenging. So here's an example of a flat lesion. You see a little undulation along the lateral wall of the cecum. It can be very subtle, but once you know what to look for, it's helpful. It's also subtle on 3D, where you just see a ridge. Here's an example of a small flat polyp along a fold in the ascending colon. You just see a little bulbous area on the fly-through. Sometimes it's more obvious on the fly-through. On the coronal image, you can see the same area with a little bit of stool tagging. Okay? Those are very, very subtle. Just to remind you, as I mentioned before, polyps can move too. So this is a nice article that shows that 27% of polyps move. Some were on stalks, but some were sessile, and the mobility was related to the physical change in the colon position. So be very careful when you're trying to determine if something is moving. 
Also remember that a polyp can be obscured by the catheter or the balloon. So what we do at Hopkins is before we stop the study, we deflate the balloon, remove the tube, and just do a limited acquisition between the lower rectum to make sure we're not missing a lesion that might be obscured by the balloon or the tube. Diverticular disease is always a challenge for the colonoscopist, for barium enemas, and for us. So this is a patient with severe diverticular disease in the sigmoid colon, their circular muscle hypertrophy, and that causes luminal narrowing. So no matter what you do, you can't maximally distend that segment. It's very difficult, and you have to spend extra time maneuvering through there so you don't miss a polyp or a mass in that area. Also what might happen is you might get impacted stool and that can be a problem. So here's an example of severe diverticular disease and you can see the diverticula on the endoluminal view as well. Here's an example of diverticular disease where we have impacted stool in a diverticula in the descending colon and on the fly-through view you just see a little bump there so it might look like a polyp to you but it's just the stool stuck in the diverticula. Remember not everything is a polyp. In this example, there is a lipoma in the left colon. You can see it there on the axial and on the coronal views. But on the fly-through, you wouldn't necessarily realize that, right? It just looks like a big mass there. So you definitely need to correlate with the 2D and preferably the soft tissue windows where you can see that it's homogeneous fat, as in this case. Remember the ileocecal valve? For people just starting out, they're constantly thinking that's a polyp. It really looks different from patient to patient. It's usually ovoid or kind of bean-shaped, and it has a little divot in the center. Sometimes it's open, so you see a little hole there. But you want to look carefully because there is mucosa over the ileocecal valve, so it's possible you could get a polyp on the valve. Here's a patient with lipomatous hypertrophy of the valve, so it looks kind of bumpy there, and then on the axial image with the lung windows you can see it and then on the soft tissue windows you can see it's that heterogeneous fat density so there's often fat density in the valve. So my advice is you should start off really doing the 2D and 3D complete interpretation until you're comfortable with your software and you develop your own strategy. When you're doing training cases it really should take you between 30 and 45 minutes per case in the beginning because you're just getting used to your software. Uh, once you start reading it in practice, you should really cut the time down to probably 15 or 20 minutes because also remember looking at the extra clonic structures and making your report. Some people can do it faster than that, but it's a lot of information to interpret. If you ask people the best interpretation strategy, is it 2D or 3D? This was a study from several years ago where they looked at experts in the field, and most of them believe that 2D was the best method. And I think that's because they were experienced radiologists who were comfortable with the 2D review. But I think you could be an excellent 2D or 3D reviewer. Here's another study that addressed 2D versus 3D, and this was from Perry Pickert, where they had 10 radiologists go back and retrospectively review cases using 2D instead of 3D, and they found that the reviewer performance was better with the 3D than the 2D. They were all experienced reviewers, but I think they were primary 3D reviewers. So if you're a really good 3D reviewer and I force you to be a 2D reviewer, you're not going to be as good. But they did show that the 3D review was more sensitive, higher specificity and sensitivity than the 2D review in that study. So he said that he thought the primary 2D CTC is less sensitive than primary 3D CTC for polyp detection in the low prevalence screening cohorts. However, the national CTC trial, or the Akron study, which was published in September 2008, 
also looked at 2D versus 3D interpretation, and they found that the 3D interpretation took a little bit longer. You can see a few minutes longer, but in that study, there was no correlation between the number of cases interpreted and the radiologist's performance, so it didn't change over time. And also, the pool sensitivity for detecting large lesions using primary 2D or 3D software were similar. So there wasn't a big difference between their 2D and 3D readers. Other tools that you can use that we'll discuss briefly, you can use computer-aided diagnosis, so that's CAD, or on the Siemens system, that's PEV. You can use polyp view, and you can use virtual dissection. Now, the use of CAD actually is very interesting, and I use it in my practice. It really helps um, to increase your sensitivity for small polyps. Those are in the 6 to 9 millimeter range. As you can see in this study, it really didn't change much for the large polyps, because people are pretty good with that. It will make a big difference, especially in experienced readers during your training. It's very helpful to have the CAD as kind of a second read. The CAD does add a couple of minutes, because the CAD sometimes has false positives, and you need to go through those. But I think it's very helpful. So what I do is I turn on the CAD, I let it run in the background. When I'm finished with my interpretation, I look at what the CAD has shown, and then uh, I can go back and look at each of those individual things and determine whether it's a polyp or not. Also, there's something called polyp enhanced viewing. That is the CAD on the Siemens. It's the same thing called PEV. And you can see there in the left lower part of the screen, you can see those little numbers. And that's where the CAD has picked out suspicious lesions. So you can go and look at those and decide whether you think they're polyps. There's also something called polyp view, and it may be called different things by different manufacturers, but what it is is a way to help you look at the density of a lesion while you're on the fly-through without going to the 2D. So you can see here in the left-hand image that there's a little polypoid lesion there. When you turn on the polyp view, it will give you a color-coded density map. Now, green means fat. So you can see in this case, it's almost completely green, so it's very likely it's a lipoma. And then when you look at it on the fly-through, you can see it's at the kind of the posterior portion of the cecum there. It is a lipoma. So here's another example of the polyp view. You can see there's a lesion there on the left. It's kind of perfectly shaped, right? It's kind of oval. And then on the right, when you put the polyp view on, it's white. And white means high density. So that means calcium or tagging agent. And then when you correlate that with the axial image, you can see there's that plaque-like area of adherent tagging there on the anterior part of the rectum. Okay. In this example, you see a polypoid lesion there on the left. And when I turn on the polyp view, it's mainly red. And red means soft tissue. So that means it's likely going to be a polyp. And we can confirm that on the axial view, where you see the polyp there coated in the tagging. Then there's something called virtual dissection. I personally don't use this. So this is a software kind of application where you could take the colon out and open it up in kind of a filleted view so it looks like the pathology specimen. And the thought is that that might be a more efficient way to look for polyps than flying through the colon. The problem with this is the computer problem where it cuts it and then it opens it up. There's a lot of distortion and there's a little bit of overlap. So I don't know anybody who uses this as a primary review, but it is a secondary tool. Some people like it. I don't use it a lot, but this still needs a little bit more refinement, a little bit more research showing that it's helpful. So regardless of which interpretation method you use, you have to look at the extracolonic structures, right? Somebody needs to address that because it's not just the colon you're imaging, you have a whole abdomen and pelvis. If you look at some of the early studies, they were very, very similar. There's a significant amount of patients who will have important extracolonic findings, anywhere in the 10 to 20 percent range depending on the patient population. 
in the Akron study, extraclonic findings were seen in 66% of patients. So that's not unusual because almost every patient has something like a little stone or a cyst. But what was important is 16% had urgent findings or those that required additional evaluation. And you can see it was in the chest, GI tract, GU, vascular, or MSK. So they required additional follow-up. So in conclusion, radiologists should be proficient in both 2D and 3D interpretation methods. You want to choose the interpretation strategy that works best for you and be familiar with your type of software and utilize the new features that are available. And remember, you're only going to be reporting lesions 6 millimeters in size. So we have a separate lecture on reporting and software features, but you have to remember that tiny lesions you're not going to be worried about in your interpretation. Thank you.